This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by The Jesus Music, the new documentary from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Well, there are few American conservative names in history that inspire the respect and admiration as that of our 40th president, Ronald Reagan. And even some liberals who widely criticized him in his own time begrudgingly have given him credit posthumously for his many political achievements. What were the ideas, though, that informed President Reagan's political philosophy and policies? Those ideas may not be what you think, but we're going to delve into them today with Dr. David Byrne. He is adjunct professor of history at California Baptist University and Santa Monica College and author of the book, Ronald Reagan, an intellectual biography. And it's great to welcome you here, Dr. Byrne. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Janet. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. You say, and I think this is kind of interesting, you say you are less interested in Reagan's personality or even presidency than you are in his mind and cosmology. And I thought that was fascinating. What are you getting at there when you say that is what most interests you, his mind or cosmology? Well, I'm most interested in his mind and cosmologies because I think that was really how you understand Ronald Reagan was through his political ideas. Ronald Reagan was actually a serious thinker in American history. And that's what I try to show in my book, Ronald Reagan, an intellectual biography, is that Reagan's ideas really defined him. His mind defined him. A lot of historians are baffled by Ronald Reagan, and I think that's because they use traditional methods, like, you know, studying his childhood, (laughs) studying his presidency. But what I really try to do is study his ideas, his political philosophy, how it developed, why it's important, what he really believed, because I think that's the key to understanding Ronald Reagan. Oh, I agree with you. And it's so ironic, isn't it? Because if we go back in our memories to how he was spoken about during his time as president, he was constantly being derided as somebody who was kind of dumb. And that really has not been the long-term history at all on Ronald Reagan, that in fact, he was not a dumb person at all. Absolutely. He read a lot. He was always writing. He was a thinker. He posited important political ideas. He had, he had significant ideas ideas about tax rates, ideas about communism, ideas about abortion, ideas about the environment, you know, ideas about everything. So he really was an intelligent, an intelligent thinking person. Yeah. Now, you talk about three specific historical forces that shaped him. And the first one you mentioned was Christian values. And this is very interesting. This portion of his life is so interesting. If you do go back and talk about the Christian context from which he emerged in his life. Can you give us some details on that and how it was that he came to embrace the Christian values that he did throughout his life? Absolutely. He was really taught the Christian faith by his mother, Nell. Uh, she was she came from the Disciples of Christ uh, movement, which is part of the evangelical uh, branch of Christianity. And she really instilled Reagan, not only in the belief in God, but the belief that God has a plan for all of us, the, the belief that God is watching over all of us, and that really it's critical that we live our lives in accordance with God's will and God's desires. And I think that that is something he really learned from his mother now, really starting from a very young age. Uh, his father was Catholic, but it was his mother's Nell, Nell's evangelical beliefs that really shaped Ronald Reagan 
uh, not just as a person, but really even part of his political philosophy was uh, adopted from different Christian ideas. So I think, you know, if you really want to study one person in shaping his, his religious thought, it was his mother now. And, you know, one of the things I try to do in my book is show how these religious ideas not only shaped Reagan the person, the young man, the adult man, but even, you know, Reagan the president, and specifically, you know, his political ideas, his political beliefs, you know, about right. topics like abortion, for example. Obviously, Reagan was pro-life, because for him, you know, life begins at creation, and life is a gift from God. So, you know, these Christian ideas really shaped him his entire life. Yeah. Now, when you're talking about his Christian values, you mentioned the issue of abortion, which is kind of a direct line. But what were some of the other areas where you see Christian values having shaped that policy or that specific position that he took? Well, as you know, Janet, one of the hallmarks of Christianity is that it's a universal faith. It's really meant for everyone. Yep. God is is watching over all of us, you know, irrespective of what faith you practice. Now, Christianity is a universal faith. And, you know, for good Christians, it's, it's a goal to spread the Christian faith. And one of the interesting things about Reagan is that he applied this to his political philosophy. Specifically, he applied it to ideas like freedom and liberty and democracy. Yeah. Radically and interestingly, he believed that freedom and democracy were for everyone, even notoriously for the people of Eastern Europe. So really what he did is he, he reconciled his Christian faith, this idea about a universal God, about uh, God's universal justice, about Christianity being a universal religion, and he applied it to his own political philosophy. And, and he believed that democracy was a universal value. Freedom is a universal value meant for everyone. So he really fused his Christian faith uh, with his political faith. That for Reagan, God and liberty can't be separated. For, for Reagan, God and liberty, God and freedom, they are one, and they exist, and they work together to, to, to form the world. This is interesting. So this then would be part of what you talk about when you mention the concept of a universal kingdom of God as being central to his thought. Absolutely. And for Reagan, what, what he wanted to do was create a universal kingdom of freedom, uh, not just in the United States, but really around the world. And this can be seen in his policies toward the Soviet Union. Reagan's ideas that we should try to bring down communism, that we should try to end communism, were actually new ideas. They were actually fairly radical for the time. But Reagan said, no, everyone in the world should enjoy freedom. Freedom is for everyone. So he really wanted to create a, a universal kingdom of freedom for everyone around the world that would dominate the world, at least until God's universal kingdom of goodness and justice descended upon descends upon the earth. Yeah, so now another one of these forces, and you've touched on it there, was he was shaped by America's firm belief in freedom as the greatest political value. So this would shape not only his foreign policy, but it would seem also his aversion to things like strong centralized government and the need for government to get out of the way of the individual. Absolutely. Reagan said the bigger the government, the higher the taxes, the less freedom we have. So if you want to land a nation... Uh, a country with liberty and freedom, what you need to do is reduce the size of government, reduce taxes, and once you do this, you will have freedom. And like we already touched upon, freedom was Reagan's foremost value. Reagan wanted freedom, freedom for everyone, freedom for every race, freedom for every class. Again, like Christianity, he did not discriminate when it comes to freedom. It was his foremost value, at least in the political sense. And the more you have of it, the better it is. It's meant for everybody to enjoy. And like, like you said, Janet, the way we achieve this freedom is by limiting the size of government, 
reducing taxes, and that's how you achieve freedom for Ronald Reagan. Totally right. Well, and also his vision of America is something that, you know, I think a lot of people who support the Barack Obamas of the world would be maybe horrified to hear. But when he talked about America really kind of having this divinely inspired mission, what's behind that? How did he come to that view that America is this shining city on a hill, as he quoted uh, forefathers on that? But what was really behind his view on America and the role of America in the world? That too, Janet, is based on scripture. The idea that, you know, Jerusalem is, is, is a holy city and, and a light to lead all other lights. At least one day it would become. Yeah. And really, um, you know, Reagan believed that America almost had a messianic, a messianic, uh, mission to save the world, to lead the world. It is a light. It, it, and this too, like I said, is based on the Bible. The idea that, you know, a, a light, a light that's on a, on a mountain cannot, on, on a hill cannot be hidden. And Reagan believed that America was this light. That needed to be placed on a hill that was needed to lead all other lights and really what was a war against darkness specifically the darkness of communism right reagan no i'm sure as you know he believed communism was evil because it was atheist yep. and we the united states are needed to lead this evil crusade we're the light reagan believed to lead this lead this evil crusade against the evil empire of communism yeah and you think of the ramifications of that belief because that was what really gave him it seems the strength to stand up and say Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall he was not intimidated and you know as many might have been to take a strong stand and to say this needs to end I mean that was such a watershed moment and many people point back to that moment and say it was absolutely critical that Reagan give the speech that he gave at that time Absolutely. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was asking if I thought Donald Trump could give the same speech. And my friend kind of suggested that maybe Trump could give the same speech, that if he had been president in the 1980s, he too could have said Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. But I don't think so. I think Reagan was really influenced, and he was really driven by a religious zeal that really can't be found in many people and certainly can't be found in Trump. Certainly well, Trump has his political beliefs, but for Reagan, like you, like you said, Janet, it was really a religious zeal, a religious messianic notion that guided Reagan really um, called on him to utter the words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Well, hang on a moment. We do need to pause for a short break. Dr. David Byrne, his book, Ronald Reagan, an intellectual biography, will come back right after this. If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. This is Janet Mefford, here to tell you that preborn saves lives. He was like, you're not ready for another baby. And at that moment, I felt that I'm not going to be able to be a mom to this baby. So I came to the pregnancy clinic. She said they go to heartbeat. That changed my life just from that ultrasound picture. 
The Ministry of Preborn supports young moms in crisis with love and support and free ultrasounds. Because when a woman sees her baby on ultrasound, she's more likely to choose life. In fact, 8 out of 10 women will choose life when they see their babies on ultrasound. Would you please join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your sponsorship goes to saving babies. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Your love can save a life. From Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine comes a new documentary, The Jesus Music. Jesus Music found its way in my hometown and it changed my life. I saw contemporary Christian music born right before my very eyes. I think music is the most powerful universal language in the world. Featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music, including Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Toby Mack, and Kirk Franklin. The Jesus Music, now playing. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Dr. David Byrne, adjunct professor of history at California Baptist University and Santa Monica College and author of Ronald Reagan, an intellectual biography. Dr. Byrne, you said something that I want to pick up on because I think it's fascinating when you were discussing the fact that you had a conversation with somebody who said, well, I guess Trump probably could have given that same speech that Reagan gave and say, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall and lead to the fall of communism. You question that, whether or not Trump could have given that same speech and especially in the same way. But do you see parallels between Reagan and Trump in any sense? Because you have noted in the book that Reagan helped pave the way for Trump and some of what has you know, become popular with America today. How, how do you see that line from Reagan to Trump? What are the similarities, but what would be the differences? Well, one of the things I try to show in my book, Ronald Reagan, an intellectual biography, is how Reagan helped turn the Republican Party into a populist party, a party for the people. Because what Reagan said, and what many conservatives continue to believe today, is that the Democratic Party is a party of elitists because they want to control the entire economy through socialist or quasi-socialist policies. What Reagan said, specifically what Reagan famously said, is you can't control the economy without controlling the people. And so socialist policies, left-wing policies, they really weaken the people, they control the people. So what Reagan believed is that by cutting taxes, by limiting the size of government, you, you strengthen the people, you give power to the people. So what Reagan believed, and what he consistently said, is that power to the people means small government, power to the people means freedom. And he helped turn conservative, conservatism into a populist movement. And I think at least to some degree in 2016, Donald Trump harnessed this populism and, and turned it into his own political machine, which helped pl- propel him to election. But I think it's really the populism of Reagan that Trump was able to use, the populism of conservatism. Because before Reagan, conservatism was a fairly elitist movement. Yeah. Uh, if, if you study 19th century history, even 20th century history, I'm sorry, conservatism means elitism. Conservatism means power to the elite, power to the superior ones among us. Conservatism was more aristocratic. But after Ronald Reagan, this has all changed. Today, conservatism means less power for the elites, more power to the people. And this is precisely what Donald Trump is attempting to do as president, and specifically during his campaign, uh, said too. 
Right. And it seems that there is a, a very observable holdover in this regard. And that is when Reagan was saying, uh, in effect, to Americans during the 1980s, you know, government is too big and you deserve a chance and you have the freedom. You can create your own business. You can, you know, kind of giving power to the people, even though the people already had the power and he recognized that. Now you have the same sort of thing in the Trump era. And when you look at the voters who went for Trump, who might not have previously voted for somebody like Donald Trump, one of the things that they really seemed to latch onto was the fact that Trump was about, you know, make America great again. And there was that same sort of feel. I had a lot of people who were commenting at the time of the election. Wow, I haven't heard anybody talk like this since Reagan. So that without Reagan, could there have ever been a Make America Great Again that would have really resonated with the people, especially because those same people were frustrated with the elites in the Republican Party and saying we need to drain the swamp. And that includes GOP leaders as well. These people in the GOP are not listening to us, the people. Absolutely, Janet. And Ronald Reagan, like Donald Trump, ran as an outsider. Uh, Reagan, his political experience of being governor of California for eight years, so, you know, he was not a congressman, he was not a senator, he was not a Washington insider, and he too wanted to limit the power of the Washington elites, limit the power of the bureaucrats, limit the power of those in Washington, D.C., and specifically instead he favored the people. Power to the people is what Reagan believed. And like I said, you do this by limiting the size of government. And yeah, I think you're exactly right when, when you note that Trump, like Reagan, they both ran as outsiders, and they both uh, sought to limit the power of bureaucracy in D.C. And of course, you know, the Make America Great Again was actually a Reagan idea, too. That originally was part of his uh, campaign in 1980. It wasn't yeah. a central theme of his campaign, of course, like it was for Reagan. But you know, both Reagan and Trump, they were patriots. Their foremost, their foremost goal was really to improve America and you know, strengthen the, Amer- the American society, strengthen the American people. Yeah, it's interesting, too. You know, Reagan talked an awful lot about having once been a Democrat and then he became a Republican. And people have noted also some similarities there, not directly with Donald Trump, but Donald Trump, for example, was pro-abortion. Now he's one of the most pro-life presidents. What was so significant, would you say, about that transition of Ronald Reagan from Democrat to Republican? What changed in him at that time that made all the difference? Well, Reagan initially, as you know, he was a Democrat. He loved FDR. He looked at FDR the same way a lot of Republicans look at him today. For him, FDR was was a great leader, almost a demigod. But what happened was, after World War II, the Democratic Party changed. It changed in composition. Reagan once clipped that he did not leave the Democratic Party, rather the Democratic Party left him. And there's some truth in this, because after World War II, the Democratic Party became more socialist, the Democratic Party became more secular. It became the party that is today, which opposes any sort of religion. Uh, it became less less patriotic. Less patriotic, the Democratic Party did, and so the Democratic Party really changed after World War II. It really began embracing new values, which it continues which it continues to embrace today. And this turned off people like Reagan, who, as we've already said, he opposed socialism. Uh, he loved God. He believed that God was needed everywhere. And, of course, he was an American patriot. So as the Democratic Party changed in composition, as it changed its values, Ronald Reagan began to shift and ultimately leave the Democratic Party. Yeah, and it's interesting when you go back into his history in terms of anti-communism, that was something that began for him at the Screen Actors Guild. Of course, that way preceded his time in politics. And how much was that crusade that he was on as an actor and with the, you know, the SAG 
part of what shaped him and prepared him for his role as president? It definitely played a big role. And as you, you know, he was president of Screen Actors Guild in the 1950s, uh, a particular contentious time in Hollywood history. There really was a lot of communist influence in Hollywood. And it really showed Reagan a lot of the disingenuous tactics that the, the communists were willing to use. And it really turned Reagan um, into really a, a strong anti-communist. Yeah. Of course, he's one of the most famous anti-communists in history. But this really began during his, during his tenure as president of SAG in the 1950s. And it really helped prepare him for future battles because he learned that, you know, working with these communists was virtually impossible. It was very difficult. So it was really during this time period in his life, the 1950s, as president of SAG, that he developed his hatred of communism, which, of course, he would become renowned for. Yeah. Do you think that Nancy Reagan had any kind of outsized influence on his politics? Or do you think he compartmentalized Nancy in some ways when it came to the job that he did? Well, that's, that's a great question. And even, you know, I think Reagan scholars are debate, you know, Nancy's influence um, in terms of his politics. In my opinion, she didn't necessarily shape his political philosophy. Of course, what I'm most interested in, there are some Reagan biographers who contend that, that Nancy helped turn Reagan from a Democrat to Republican because Nancy's father was, was a powerful Republican in his own right. Um, but and certainly as after becoming president, she certainly, you know, influenced some little things, uh, you know, when he held meetings, who he was close to. So in certain little ways, she certainly influenced, um, you know, his presidency. But in my opinion, his, you know, from, what's important for me is his political philosophy, his conservative political philosophy, the values that you and I have already discussed. And in my opinion, Nancy did little to shape any of those. Very interesting. Yeah, because I remember at the time when she was, you know, getting involved with horoscopes and all the rest and people were saying, well, wait a minute, I thought that Ronald Reagan was a Christian. How in the world do these two go together? Certainly, you know, influences his life tremendously. There's no doubt about that. She's the most important figure in his personal life. And she certainly played a role in his political life. But I think in terms of his ideas, his cosmology, his political philosophy, I think she was certainly just a secondary figure at best. Yeah. Do you have any insight as to why it was that he was not very public when it came to being a member of a church? Obviously, when you're a president, it's more difficult to go to church every Sunday. But what do we know about that? Because he clearly showed his Christian faith and his Christian values and a lot of what he did and said and how he conducted himself. What about the relationship with the church? What what went on there? You know, Reagan was was a regular uh, church attender, you know, of course, growing up, even as governor of California. But really what he says is that he was just, as president, he attended ch- church less frequently frequently because it was just too big of a distraction yeah. for everyone. Mm-hmm. It would just cause too much chaos if he went to church every Sunday. Um, and you know, it's probably a bit of a security risk, too, you know, if you always know where he's going to be every Sunday morning. So I think you know, it certainly wasn't due to any lack of religious fervor. I think it was just for some practical reasons that he thought he would be a distraction. It, it was just it, it, that he himself would take away from the service and, you know, of course, God's Word. So I right. think it was really just for practical reasons, not because he had you know any less religious faith, of course. Right, right. What would you say, then, his intellectual legacy ended up being? He, he did so many things, and many people have commented on all of his accomplishments, but when you come down to this intellectual uh, analysis of Ronald Reagan, what would you say his intellectual legacy is? Well, some of the ideas we've, we've already discussed have profound consequences. You know, for example, he says that freedom is for everyone. Democracy is for everyone. Even you know, the people of Eastern Europe, he, he significantly attempted, and even more significantly succeeded in spreading democracy and freedom 
to the former Soviet Union. You know, one of the legacies of this that one of his successors, George W. Bush, would pick up on is that, well, freedom and democracy are meant for everyone. Then doesn't this mean that freedom and democracy are meant for the people of Iraq? Yeah. Doesn't this mean that freedom and democracy are meant for the people of Afghanistan? So I think, you know, in one sense, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, whether you agree or disagree with them, whether you think they're right and wrong, to some degree, they're, they're a result of Reagan's legacy, intellectual legacy, that we've already discussed, which is freedom and democracy are universal values. They're meant for everyone. And George W. Bush, whatever you think of him, he certainly agreed with this. George W. Bush believed that freedom and democracy were meant for everyone. And in this, he was influenced by Reagan. Absolutely. Well, the name of the book is Ronald Reagan, an intellectual biography written by Dr. David Byrne, who has been kind enough to join us for this wonderful look at our 40th president. And so good to have you here, Dr. Byrne. Thanks a lot for being with us. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Janet. Absolutely. God bless. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by The Jesus Music, the new documentary from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back to Janet Mefford Today. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 16, laying out for us exactly what we need to do in order to be his disciples. But of course, once you become a Christian, the road of discipleship can be fraught with difficulties and trials. That's just the way it is in the Christian life. So how can we maintain a steady course by God's grace and follow Jesus for the rest of our lives? Joining me now is Pastor Andrew Randall. He serves as pastor of Grace Church Larbert, which is a congregation of the International Presbyterian Church in central Scotland. And we'll be talking about his book called Following Jesus, The Essentials of Christian Discipleship. Pastor Randall, it's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thanks thanks for having me. Yes, well, you say that this book is about going back to the basics of discipleship and heeding Jesus' call to follow him. What do you think it is, as far as the basics of discipleship, what are those basics, would you say? I think the the main issue is is as a, what the book sets out to to establish is that the the basics are the essentials and and the the core thing in the Christian life is not about in a sense not about anything spectacular um, but is about getting the basics right and getting to grips with uh, the basic things and I think the, the the main things would be what what we might call the ordinary means of grace yes. so uh, God has given us uh, ways of um, growing in our faith, of following him day by day. He's given to us uh, a huge amount. Um, and what we often find is that Christians go looking for more um, and, and don't take full advantage of what we have. So this, this, the book focuses on things like the place of the Bible in our lives, the place of the church, the place of prayer and of the Holy Spirit, um, how we grow in our faith, how, we, how we're guided and so on. Yes, which is absolutely essential. And I liked what you said there, that sometimes Christians get caught up in the idea that I need more than the basics. Why do we go in that direction where we think that all that God has already told us we need is not enough? Why do we think that way sometimes? 
it's a strange psychology, isn't it? But yeah. uh, it just seems to be something in in human nature. And uh, yeah, I mean this this is a, this is a you know it's a book for very much a book for ordinary mortals about the ordinary Christian life. <laughs> and oh, sometimes you read things uh, or hear or hear a certain kind of preaching, and it's about. It's all about how absolutely extraordinary and amazing and extreme everything is. And to be honest, I get exhausted just listening to it. Never mind <laughs> trying to live it. And, and I, think, I think we need a bit of realism about the fact that the ordinary Christian life is, is lived out day by day amidst all the challenges of um, work and bringing up the kids and um, putting the bins out to get collected and, and all the things that need to happen in daily life. Yes. Um, and, and, and we just need to keep grounding ourselves i i guess it's human nature that we that the what is more spectacular is more appealing to us um, but the key to the to the christian life is really to get the the ordinary pattern of our of our growth and our discipleship um on course and and if we could do that um and just have a, have a steady course what um, eugene peterson called a long obedience in the same direction yes. um then then we'd go a long way towards um avoiding many of the problems i think that we sometimes have oh it certainly would because the christian life is a marathon it's definitely not a sprint and yeah. if, if you're going to live your christian life by you know momentous events you're going to crash and burn pretty quickly because exactly. that, that's not what you're in for what would you say to a new christian who says all right i've placed my faith in jesus christ i've repented of my sins i've been born again by the spirit of god but i know jesus says that that I have to deny myself and take up my cross and follow me, what would you say to the new Christian by way of explaining what that actually means? If, if someone said, I don't really get it, what do you mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, I need to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him? How do I do that when I can't see him? What, what is that all about? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a huge issue about the, um, the whole dynamic of the Christian life and how we, how we live it. Um, so, so in, in that particular call, I, I think we have to, as part of many paradoxes in the gospel, isn't it, that we have to embrace? Yes. Um, and, and we have to, in, in many ways, we have to trust. We have to trust Jesus that um, when he tells us that the way of sacrifice is the way of fulfillment and of joy, that he's being truthful with us. Um, and I think that's what it comes down to. In a sense, it's about... Um, as, as handing over control, giving up um, control, and and being willing to, um, well, what Paul says in Romans 12, um, offer up our bodies as living sacrifices. Um, and, and once you look at that theme in the scriptures, you find that it's absolutely everywhere that the key to um, success, for want of a better word, in the Christian life is, is in a way, failure. Um, that, that everything is inverted, um, that that's, that's, that's the call and that we need to trust that, that that call will be to our blessing. Yeah, that's right. Well, paradox, like whoever wants to be the greatest in the kingdom of God must be yeah. the servant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are a lot of those expressions in the Bible and that's an important thing for people to grasp right from the get-go when you become a Christian. So let's talk about following Jesus by the book, as you say. We have to ground our faith in Jesus in his word. Where would you begin in that quest? Clearly, you need to read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible. But what part of anchoring your faith in Jesus uh, is necessary when you have the Word of God in front of you? What would you advise Christians to do uh, to live for Jesus by the book? I think um, it's really just a case of trying to 
in seeking to internalize, seeking to take full advantage of what God has given to us. So I think it was Bunyan, wasn't it, that the, the famous comment about him was that his blood was bibline. If you mm. if you pricked him, the Bible would come out. Yeah. Um, and you see that in the way that he writes, and you see it in the way that he lives. So, so speaking there about um, taking up our cross and following him, the, the suffering that Bunyan willingly endured um, was was very extreme, but he was able to do it because he had the Word of God stored up in his heart. Yes. And so I think for for the young Christian, it's, it's very easy to um, to be drawn away by the bright lights of more spectacular things. When actually we we believe as Reformed Christians that um, that the Scriptures are sufficient. Um, and that God has given us here all that we need for life and godliness. That's right. Um, and so it's really a case of trying to do everything that we can to just fill our lives and our minds with the Bible. We need, we need to be honest enough to recognize that as we've lived apart from God, we have a mind that has been shaped by the world and that has been hugely shaped just by sin. Um, and therefore, it's the, it's the Bible, it's the Word of God that, that reshapes us, that renews us um, from within and transforms our minds um, and helps us to, uh, to, to adjust to uh, a godly way of life and to love, to love godliness and to love holiness. We need to learn that, um, and the Word does that. Um, and so the, in practical terms, it's a case of getting that Word into you by whatever means possible, and um, so that would include daily you know daily bible reading regular bible reading um it would include it's important to not to separate that off from church because actually the uh, our place in church and the preaching of the word yes. um is enormously significant um it's not an individual uh, just jesus and me experience yes um we we read the bible as groups of people we read the bible as the church in fellowship with others um both now and throughout the ages which is why um, church history matters and old writings matter. Um, so I think I think yeah these these kind of main ways of of uh, getting the Bible into us and shaping our thinking and our our minds uh, our worldview more and more by Scripture. Yeah, and one of the things that really strikes me is a lot of people who are very concerned about the Word of God and and knowing doctrine sometimes can err in the. I think it's a little bit of an error to think, well, I'll just read my theology book. I'll read my systematic theology today. I'll read my confessions. Yeah. All of which is great, but it seems if we're moving away from the Word of God to any extent, then we need to go back in the direction of the Bible. That's the main book we ought to be reading and studying. Absolutely. Other, other things are, uh, other things can be very useful, um, but it's a strange thing, and I think it's a, I think it's a, a clear indication of a of a spiritual reality. It's a strange phenomenon how Christian books are easier to read than the Bible, hmm. um, and and it's easy even for Christian books to become a replacement. And 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 uh, uh, yeah, we need to make sure that we're we're giving time to. God's Word itself. Other, other things have their place, but only a secondary place. Amen. Well, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Pastor Andrew Randall. His book is called Following Jesus. We're going to talk more about this issue of the church in the Christian life. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? 
Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Jaime is an itinerant pastor in Ecuador. In Latin America, there, there are violence. Pastors and Christian workers uh, faced with attackers, thieves, gangs. So that's the, that's the problem. Jaime will travel days by foot, boat, and mule. He's been beaten by warlocks, robbed, and suffered broken bones after falling in the Andes Mountains. What awaits him at the end of each trip? A thriving congregation of hundreds of believers in an area where Christianity is fiercely opposed. When I share Jaime's story, I recall Isaiah 6, 8. Whom shall I send? Who will go? I believe this man is enduring more than some pastors ever will. And like others in the world where Bibles are desperately needed, Jaime is humbly asking us to send God's word. For only $5, you can send a Bible to Latin America and around the world, and a special match will double your gift. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com.